This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. Welcome to Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Tommy. And I'm Addie. And you're listening to Series 9, Episode 12, Rags and Riches. We don't have any special announcements for you today, so we're going to move straight on into Words with the GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. This Words with the GM Hello. is about Series 9, Episode 11, Coming Clean. There's a lot of great moments throughout episode 11, but there's one thing we see, which is the players interacting with long range communication towers. Uh, We see Juliet go and check her messages and also Giles corresponds with Pepe Dantoro and even has the LRC operator have his messages printed out and hand delivered to him at the hotel. Uh, So I wanted to take the opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, about LRC towers and how they kind of function within the world of Manifest. Uh, Long-range communication towers are kind of manifests analog for telegraphs from the 1800s. I didn't want the technology on manifest to be so prevalent and advanced that we lost some of those traditional Western elements, like limited communication between towns and a reliance on letters and telegrams to reach people who live in other parts of the world. But I also didn't want the tech to be so primitive that it was literally just telegraph communications. So LRC towers became the solution. The way they function is kind of interesting because the science of space travel was lost a long time ago on Manifest, so it's not like there's satellites for LRC towers to ping off of. Instead, when they're constructed, the location and exact height of a town's LRC tower is chosen so that the sensor array at the top can draw an unobstructed line to at least one other LRC tower on Manifest. Each tower has an array built into its top that sends and receives tight beam laser transmissions to all the LRC towers it can. Those towers then immediately forward that transmission to all the towers they can, and so on and so forth, until every LRC tower on Manifest receives the message and logs it. These messages are simple and small, basically limited to text alone, and the framework of the LRC system allows for messages to be mildly privatized as they are logged to an existing LRC call sign. Basically, everyone on Manifest has an LRC call sign, which is kind of a combination between a screen name and a mailbox. You can purchase a call sign at any LRC tower for a low fee. You're then given a tag, which sort of functions like a key to access your personal messages. Even without an LRC tag, you can access the tower's public messages, which range from the local uh, from local to global news, depending on the tower. And most LRC tower operators are also essentially function as the local newspaper. But like all tech on Manifest, the functionality and accessibility of LRC isn't exactly standardized between settlements. There's just enough independent contractors with the know-how and resources to build an LRC tower for a new settlement that there's a fair amount of variance in the implementation. The poorer settlements tend to have pretty simplistic LRC towers, even going so far as to have no operator on hand. No operator means the tower is less likely to be well-maintained, and users have to rely on the automated systems to send and receive messages. But many settlements can afford to pay an operator. 
While LRC operators tend to the maintenance of a tower and often use their station to produce news for the local community, they also assist anyone with sending or receiving messages. Not everyone knows how to read and write, and therefore require an operator to read and compose their messages for them. Also, messages can be flagged as urgent, which will often result in an operator printing out a copy of a message and hand-delivering it to the recipient instead of waiting for someone to come and check their messages. Of course, this depends entirely on if a town's given operator is aware of the recipient's presence in town, so sending an urgent message to a drifter might not amount to much. LRC operators in general have access to all communications sent through the LRC as their tags tend to have essentially admin privileges, and there's really no identity verification when it comes to slotting in someone's LRC tag to read their private correspondence, which does mean handwritten letters have not fallen out of style. Nomad packs are one of the more common methods for letters and packages to be transported, but the high-speed rail is used for most factory town to factory town mail service. There's also private mail carriers that can be contracted by those with the spurs to pay for the extra discretion and security. But in general, LRC communications tend to be a good way to stay relatively informed and in touch with other parts of the world. And as we've seen so far, it's pretty common practice for drifters to hit up the LRC tower shortly after arriving in town, which gives GMs a lot of chances to drop interesting plot hooks. So that's basically LRC towers in a nutshell, but the interactions with the LRC tower only make up a fraction of what happened in the last episode. So I want to ask you, Addy, what was your favorite part of the last episode? My favorite part of the last episode was the bathing sequence. I don't know what to call it, (laughs) um, where we just got a little role play in there while we were getting back from the salt flats and and cleaning up after that. Um, And uh, Clayton and Roy have their little interaction where Roy is in the bath and then Clayton comes in and Juliet is also uh, cleaning up. It was a great way to loosen up and get back into role playing after a couple of very intense and combat heavy sessions. It was really fun and and also gave a nice push to the to the Roy Clayton will they won't they plot which I've been enjoying immensely (laughs) and what about you what was your favorite part Uh, my part actually involves the will they won't they plot arc of Clayton and Roy as well Uh, my favorite part was definitely earlier in the session when you guys were still on the salt flats and you were doing shoot the shit and Roy just flat out asks Clayton so where do we stand? Are you turning me in? And Clayton's response was hilarious to me because uh, Covert does a really good job kind of playing Clayton as an incredibly capable character with really good instincts, but also just dumb as rocks. <laughs> and that's that's a, a very Western type character because in the Wild West and on Manifest, uh, education isn't commonplace everywhere. Uh, But that doesn't mean that people are specifically dumb. It just means that maybe they don't have the best logic. And Clayton exemplifies that brilliantly where he's like, yeah, you know, I'm just it's I still need money. The money I was about to get from Giles just burned up. I I don't know. I'm I'm really conflicted. Maybe if you give me a reason. And Roy's like, well, you know, I I did like just save everyone by blowing up that Colossus. And then (laughs) in his kind of clumsy logic. Clayton's like, yeah, that's right. You did. You were the one that burned up all of my spurs. <laughs> and uh, I love it. I love it so much. Uh, and and actually, you know, it even carries forward into into the bathing scenes, too, where he uh, he tries to, like, work through his his confusion with Juliet. I love it. Cover does a great job. I love Clayton. 
but you guys still have a pretty hefty task ahead of you. We ended the last episode with you looking at the city of Glenspire, trying to figure out how you're going to pull off a heist, and I'm dying to see how it goes. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and move on into Series 9, Episode 12, Rags and Riches. Enjoy! Greetings, I'm Clayton Sawyer. You may not have heard of me, but I'm one of the best bounty hunters in the Badlands. I got a few advantages, you see. First is sugar, Maache, and even though I only found her a few years back, my best friend. She was the runner for a herd and probably couldn't keep up and was cast out, and I know how that feels. So me and her bonded, and she grew up right with me stepping in as her daddy. The second edge I got hunting bounties is that I'm illuminated, and my abilities grant me an advantage that most of the nastiest outlaws ever got bountied can't compete with. The thing about being illuminated is that those same abilities that give me all those powers and advantages are also unsubtle to most folk. They can understand a gun or a knife, but they can't quite figure the threat someone like me might be to them. That's why me and Suge are always moving, hunting, and on to the next bounty, leaving people behind before they can make us get. One day, me and Suge are going to pull in a big bounty, and we'll make enough to settle into our own homestead we can be ourselves and ain't nobody gonna try to drive us away again. We'll wrestle cattle, do some farming, and live a quiet life on our own little slice of the Badlands. Howdy folks, name's Roy Hampton. Now I know what you're thinking. How did such a dashing young man come to be robbing you today? Well, you get to handing over your spurs and I'll tell you what's what. I grew up in a factory town with my mamas Helen and Kate. Helen was a kind, quiet lady, kept her head down to raise me best as she could. But Mama Kate, she was the kind of woman who couldn't help but stand up for us, even when we weren't asking. In the city, there's two kinds of folks, the family and people paying the family. And Mama Kate wasn't about to be either. Problem is, when you're standing up to a planetary crime syndicate, you and yours are liable to end up in the dirt. So when the Jimmies came to our home, my mamas held him off long enough for me to escape. After that, thieving wasn't a choice. It was survival. Now, miss, you ain't gonna get to that holdout before I loose this arrow. Just sit tight. We're almost through. See, turns out I got a knack for this life. Key is to always have the advantage. Never pick a fair fight. Second trick is to rob folks that can afford to lose it. And there ain't nobody richer than the family. There was a time I was hitting the family so hard I was taking enough spurs to live like a king. Trouble is, family ain't inclined to let robbery of that magnitude slide, hence the 800 spur bounty on my head. Now I know y'all are feeling a few spurs short, but look on the bright side. Next time you throw a fancy shindig, you can tell the story of the time you were robbed by Roy Hampton, legendary outlaw. Y'all have a nice day now. Charles Farthing, the pleasure's all mine, like. As you might have guessed, I come for money, but I'm not above slumming it with the upper middle class. I work a trade. I'm a barber. Clean cut, close shave, replace a limb or two. That last one's my speciality. Prosthetics. Best side of Iron Harbor. And the other side of Iron Harbor. Also within the city limits of Iron Harbor. <laughs> well, have a look. My handiwork's my pride and joy. My left side, the foreleg, arm, my left eye. No accident. Improvements. The human body's wonderful, but imperfect-like. We're at a point in history where it's our own flesh and blood holding us back. That's why I've made it my life's work, to develop the finest in form, function, and fashion. 
That's all on hold for the moment, though. First, I need to find and recover an item stolen from my own home at a recent exhibition. To steal from a man of my genius. The audacity. It's unforgivable. Ugh, blather, what'll it be? I'll have you looking your best in no time, or my name isn't Giles Farthing. Which it is. Giles Far. I just told you, like... My name is Juliet Hunt, and I've been a drifter nearly my whole life. My parents were killed by bandits when I was far too young. I only survived because a gunslinger named Avery came along and rescued me. Being that I was an orphan, he took me under his wing and taught me to shoot like him, passed on the craft, like a father to a daughter. After Avery died, I drifted alone for a time, until happenstance brought me to Cyrus Finch. He's loud, flashy, full of cockamamie ideas, and occasionally a criminal. And I, I ain't any of those things. We ended up drifting together a long while and gotten to more than a few situations we never saw coming, including getting hitched. Like all drifters that live past their prime, we eventually hung up our irons and we settled down in a nice little town in the Badlands. Now... I ain't so retired that I won't oblige somebody who's in desperate need of a bullet. And Cyrus has to sate his itch to run a grift from time to time. But by our standards, it's a quiet kind of life. For a long while, it was a pleasant life. Until Cyrus up and disappeared without a word. Now, he ain't the most communicative individual. But I just got this gut feeling that something ain't right. And Avery taught me better than to ignore my gut. So I've closed up shop, took up my irons, and set out drifting again. My Cyrus is out there somewhere, and I'm gonna find him. And when I do, oh boy, he better be in need of saving. Otherwise, he's in trouble. Uh, The last time we left our drifters, in order to fulfill their arrangement with Giles Farthing, they began planning a heist. Pepe Dantoro was able to inform Giles that his stolen property is being held in the private vault of Anastasia Berwin Cornfoot, located adjacent to her private viewing booth at the Addington Downs Jackalope Racetrack in Glenspire. The four of you are able to enter Glenspire with little to no fuss, Uh, Due to Giles' name, you can bypass paying the toll to enter the city. And you find yourselves on the streets of Glenspire. Roy, you haven't been here since that bounty was posted on your head. The streets are wide, but full of people walking around, riding on horseback, and driving vehicles around. And the city itself is in an almost perpetual haze as the city of Glenspire has many factories that pollute the air around it. Uh, Clayton, uh, you try to avoid the cities whenever you can, and you're immediately reminded why. First, the low air quality, the masses of, of people bustling by each other, and worst of all, the stairs. Uh, you have plenty of people pulling their children away from sugar, uh, giving you dirty looks, um, and trying to give you a wide berth. And these people don't even know you're illuminated. But the four of you can make your way to uh, anywhere you like in Glenspire. Uh, Giles, you had mentioned going to the bank. I will need uh, some spares for this job, plus the ones I've promised to Mr. Sire. You can go to one of the banks of Glenspire. 
and uh, uh, pop in there and draw a line of credit. Since you hail from Ion Harbor, uh, your credit is capped at uh, 800 spurs. 800 it is. Uh, so the rest of you waiting outside the bank, uh, Giles is able to uh, exit and casually uh, show that he was able to withdraw 800 spurs. I hope it's enough to at least talk to the Darman and the Cardelite. I don't think I've seen 800 spurs total in my life. Oh, well, once we're off the street, I'll give you a look. <laughs> so where to next, I suppose? I mean, we got the cash to get in the front door, Addington Downs, but uh, without putting some rumors out into the world of some folks new in town, some new cash, Doorman at the Court Elite Club's going to laugh in our faces and tell us to please turn around and... They ain't going to be nice about it. So I'd like to make contact with the criminal underworld that I've become acquainted with through my activities in Glenspire and just get that information out there. Start the rumor mill, as it were. Uh, sure. You can roll connections again at a plus four because this is because of your home field advantage. That's four hits. OK, so you uh, you guys go to uh, one of the seedier areas of Glenspire, closer to some of the uh, the actual factories. And Roy pops into a saloon, and Giles, you feel very out of place uh, around here. Uh, even, if, even if you're not necessarily afraid of the people who live around here, you definitely think that you could easily become a target at any moment. But uh, one of the first things you run into, Roy, is uh, tons of people are like, you're back in town? <laughs> yeah yeah i'm i'm coming through i got i got a big job planned uh don't don't tell nobody but uh i'm trying to get these people to tell everyone i'm here to rob a bank and then i'm gonna go hit the racetrack <laughs> roy hampton you always did add half a brain and too much enthusiasm you're gonna you're gonna get your bounty up to 1200 if you keep going at this rate they won't even let you in the door I think 1200's aiming a bit low, don't you think? <laughs> the table of outlaws you're sitting at all get a kick out of that. And you continue doing the rounds for a little while, stopping in different places, kind of continuing to put, put word out, uh, uh, making the criminal underworld pretty sure that Roy Hampton is back in town to rob a bank, uh, specifically because there's some folk who are coming into town with a significant amount of cash on hand. And uh, so you're able to spread that around. But uh, were there other things you were attempting to do? I mean, you got four connections. So uh, I imagine there's more steps to your uh, uh, to your legwork that would require a connections role. Uh, well, there's certainly a disguise element to for this plan to work is my face is some would say quite well known among the rich folk of this town. So uh, I would like to find a discreet tailor and perhaps makeup artist to uh, get me and my friends some appropriate clothes for this job. Uh, so after making around at a bunch of seedy bars, Roy leads you guys uh, to a rather unremarkable area of Glenspire, and uh, he goes over to what looks like the, the a cellar entrance to a warehouse and uh, kneels down and you know knocks on the door with like a kind of like rhythmic pattern. And there's like a slight pause and then a little slot on the door shrink, opens up. Oh, hello, Roy. And uh, Roy, you are uh, greeted and welcomed by Lockham and Grep. 
uh, they kind of run an underground tailor and arms dealer uh, operation here in Glenspire, allowing for, you know, modified uh, armor as well as uh, some more discreet weaponry. Uh, they open up the hatch. They are both large, wide-set people. Lockham's got big, bushy sideburns and a shaved head, and uh, Grep's hair is kind of cropped short. They're kind of modestly dressed, you know, uh, uh, nothing super fancy, um, and uh, kind of wearing, like, leather smocks uh, with tool uh, with tailoring tools stuffed into them. And they invite the four of you down uh, into their storefront, which is a moderately sized room uh, with uh, mirrors and all sorts of fabric along the walls. And then uh, a couple like wardrobes and closets around. It's made out of a nice like wood material and it's kind of has like a warm feeling to it that definitely contrasts it from the uh, neighborhood that it is hidden in. And uh, as you get down, uh, Lockham says to you, Roy, we heard you was back in town. Yeah, I, uh, I got something big planned, but uh, some of my compatriots here, they ain't quite got the dress for the part, if you dig my meaning. I motion towards Juliet and Clayton. Pleasure to meet all of you. I'm Lockham. This is Grep. Hello. And this is our humble shop. Well, it's just lovely. Pleasure to make your acquaintance. Finest thrift shop I've ever been in. Bar none. Grep, like, kind of scratches her head at that and goes, thrift shop? We're a tailor, sir. Roy, did you tell them we were a thrift shop? <laughs> nah, he's got... I think he were dropped as a child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 I see. Uh, no kind, sir. We sell <laughs> clothes here. Clothes that we make for people. Oh, do you? <laughs> Charmed. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, Lockham speaks up. So, what are we looking for? Uh, some kind of armor can be worn underneath the trench coat? Some kind of bandanas? I mean, you, you're the talk of the town right now, Roy. What with you planning on hitting the bank? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> see, here's the thing. I ain't actually gonna hit the bank. Well, well then what are you doing here? I'm here because we're hitting the racetrack. Lockham and Grep kind of look at each other, look at you, and then... <laughs> oh, Roy, that would be the day, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. And it is? And they sit there for a second. Lockham, I think he's serious. No. Roy, are you being serious? Serious is a heart attack. Well, I appreciate you clearing us in. This information stays inside these four walls, yeah? Yeah, of course. I, I know I know I can trust you guys, and uh, obviously you need to know what you're working with to properly execute your job. I say sort of looking at Giles. <laughs> I choose to stay silent. Uh, and Grep goes, oh, this is going to be exciting. They always wear the most fancy things at the, at the racetrack. And then she looks at Juliet and goes, oh, I'm going to love making your hat. It's proper for a lady to wear a hat. We've gone to the racetracks, haven't we, Lockham? Yes, we've gone to the racetracks quite a few times. You have to wear a fancy hat, miss. <laughs> I'm afraid they're right. Huh. I look forward to your ingenuity. I smile painfully. <laughs> uh, and they begin to get to work um, uh, tailoring and, and uh, taking designs and uh, coming up with ideas for um, the different sorts of outfits uh, you guys will need to be wearing in order to 
fit in, uh, especially at the point where Lockham uh, says, Roy, about what floor are you planning on being at? That kind of ta- that kind of determines the type of fabric we should be using. Well, we was thinking the sixth, if that works for y'all. They look at each other, shocked, and be like, now you're being serious this time, yeah? Yeah, I'm being serious. Roy, what, uh, what kind of idea you got gonna make you think you can rob some of the people on the sixth floor? You know they're the most well protected. Yeah, and that's what makes them the most vulnerable. <laughs> they, <laughs> is it there for a second? And they're like, yeah, you got a point there, Roy. <laughs> Pretending to understand what you mean. <laughs> And then uh, Lockham, who is currently uh, measuring out uh, Clayton's inseam, uh, continues, All right, sixth floor then. And that means you're going to rob a clubhouse. Yeah, that is correct. Uh, the fanciest one, as it were. And then Grep, Grep goes, So you, your plan is to come back into the town in which you've got an 800 spur bounty on your head and just waltz on in to the Cordelite clubhouse and rob it blind yeah that about sums it up i think i'm gonna need to add some more armor to this (laughs) (laughs) uh and then lockham goes how are you planning on getting inside the door roy not to tell you how to do your own job or nothing but it's kind of hard to get inside those things restrictive secretive that's why i got this team here mr farthen is our in on this one are you a member of the core delete I'm afraid I don't have that honor yet, but... Oh, you seem like the kind of person who might be called elite, but unfortunately, Roy, I think you may have a bit of a problem. Yeah, what's the word then? Well, everyone likes to, uh, from time to time, imagine how they would rob Addington Downs. A bit of a mental exercise, as it were. And I've heard when it comes to the called elite, they have the best doorman... <laughs> In all of the clubhouses. <laughs> he don't use a register or nothing. He knows everybody's name by sight. He knows all 300 or 200 members of the core delete and whether or not he should be expecting them. He's not the type of person to ask you who you are. He's the person who just kind of knows. So if you don't got a member of the core delete escorting you, or you're not a member of the core delete, I don't know how you're going to get past him. Unless, of course, you was to shoot him, if you're planning on going in loud like that. And Grab goes, I'm going to need to add more armor. (laughs) Clayton. Yeah. Are you able to put thoughts in other people's heads? I mean, I've played some pranks on some drunks before, but I can't make them think stuff. They just hear what I have to say. Why do you ask? Ah, this problem of the Darman they're discussing. I was wondering if there may be a way to get our way on his list, so to speak. I actually have an idea about that. Now, I've been robbing rich folk in this town for a little while. Can I think of four or so people in the court elite whose names maybe ain't that important in the grand scheme of things, but they're certainly allowed in that clubhouse? Yes, you'd probably have to, like, scope them out if you wanted to refresh yourself exactly how they looked. But, like, you could you could draw upon them and you probably know where their estates are. Yeah, I, I figure we scope out some of these, these folks in the court elite who, uh, like I said, they don't really matter in the grand scheme of the court elite. 
but they're allowed in that clubhouse, and I'm I'm sure Lockham and Grep here can whip up a disguise, and we can just pretend to be them. Consider this like step 1A of the grand plan to rob Addington Downs. Well, uh, we can try to rip up a, a disguise to the best of our abilities, um, though we do have one thing that might be useful to you. I mean, I don't know how flush you are, Roy, but we do have a digi-disguise that we could sell you. Well, hell, Giles, pay him. <laughs> <laughs> it's 200 spurs, but we only got the one, so everyone else, if you're, you're going to disguise yourself as well, you got to do, you know, traditional, theatrical-type disguise. Is this your design? Grep goes, yeah, I made it. I tried to do it on a kind of discreet necklace. So they pull out uh, the digi disguise. Um, it looks like a, a plain chain necklace, kind of thin in thickness so that it could like be worn uh, just under the collar of a shirt without like dis- disrupting it. And Grep kind of unclasps it and puts it uh, around Lockham's neck. And then in front of Lockham's face, like a little hollow menu pops up and uh he like presses a couple buttons on like the the screen and swipes his hand to the to the left and as he does it's like he's swiping his hand over his face and his face changes uh a holographic replication of Roy Hampton's face appears on uh on Lockham which looks really weird because Lockham is like six and a half feet tall broad set shoulders very muscular like hairy man uh <laughs> And uh, and his face just becomes this like twenty year old, uh, clean shaved face, blonde hair, blue eyes, Roy Hampton, and he like grins, and then in Roy's voice goes, "Now it ain't a perfect disguise, but it should do the trick at least for one of you." It's actually not bad. Like, yeah, I'll buy it. And Grep goes, uh, "That's exciting. Uh, it took me the better part of a year to put it together." And uh, uh, Lockham unclasps the necklace. Uh, and the hollow display around his face uh, digitizes and fades away. And uh, he hands it to you. And uh, Grep goes, it will be 200 spurs. It's cash okay. They look at each other and look back and go, and Lockham goes, I think we can make that work. <laughs> <laughs> I hand it over from the compartment on my leg. And then I'm going to go uh, study this necklace a bit. See if I can't recreate two or three more by tomorrow. Uh, looking at it easily, you can tell this is a class four item, which in the shortest duration, if you cut some corners, you could finish one if you were lucky in about three days time. Uh, This thing, clearly it's got some mechanism to sort of scan faces, right? Yep. That's one of the primary purposes of its design. How close you gotta be for that to work? Usually pretty close if you want the necklace to do it. Otherwise... You can just take a picture and scan the picture, and that tends to work pretty well. All right, well, why don't I take this puppy out? I'll go tail some court elite members that more or less fit y'all's builds and uh, get you some pretty good scans to work with for a disguise. Seems like a good plan. Yeah. So as you finish uh, getting your measurements, Lockham and Grep will hold production on, uh, uh, on the outfits until you give them some more notes. And what, Roy, you're putting on uh, uh, the Digi disguise to traverse Glenspire safely and tail some Court Elite members? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Um, well, because of your connections for uh, around here, uh, you are able to put everyone up in a safe house. And Giles, uh, during that time, you can start getting to work on uh, another 
digi disguise if you like. Will do. No explosions, but I got five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're cutting corners, uh, it only needs four hits for you to do it in a single roll. So uh, you, in fact, make a slightly better digi disguise than uh, Grep was able to make in half a year's time. <laughs> um, you improve on her design and uh, yeah, you make a standard quality digi disguise as opposed to the poor quality digi disguise that, uh, that you currently purchased. Uh, and that, that is going to take you uh, about three days. How many cubes does that take? 14 tech cubes and two first aid cubes. Um, and during this time, Roy, uh, you are, uh, in a disguise. So it's not so much about someone recognizing you as Roy Hampton. Instead, uh, I'm just going to need a sneak check from you, uh, as you try to tail high profile people who have their own personal bodyguards and, uh, and, uh, only travel in, in areas where a man of your stature might draw attention. Okay. My highest is a nine. Uh, my high is a 14 and I got two net hits. Okay. So it, it takes you almost all of the three days um, for you to like find your moment in which you can uh, uh, get a good line of sight on like particular members of the core delete and using a camera that I assume you either bought or had Giles make for you. Yeah. Sure. It just takes up a tech cube, Giles, for you to make a, a, a basically the equivalent of like a Polaroid camera. Um, and um, you're able to, over the course of three days, leaving and coming back to this safe house to get the the photographs you need to scan in uh, these faces. Uh, so that puts you guys at two digi disguise. Are we stopping at that or Giles, are you planning on, on making more? I guess the uh, question is how long do you guys want to hold out in this, in this uh, kind of dingy safe house that Roy was able to procure for you? My thought was it'd be hardest to clean up uh, Roy and Clayton. So they'd get the digi disguises and Juliet and I would be the guests. Uh, so yeah, after three days time using Roy's connections in Glenspire, you've been able to uh, have Extremely fancy clothing tailored uh, with armor built into it. So all of you have excellent quality light armor with an excellent quality socially adaptable and fitted mod. They also retailored what they did make a bit. They've got a keen eye for the style, but the colors are wrong. These bright colors are for middle class who want to look like they're rich, not for the truly affluent. <laughs> Giles puts on uh, just a little bit more. Uh, actually, Giles, go ahead and roll a blend test for me as you try to shape up these disguises made by uh, Glenn Spire Lowlifes to really give that authenticity of high society to it. Two successes. Okay, so uh, that'll give everyone a, a plus two to any blend test they have to do to, to try and look like they belong there. As Giles goes and shops a little bit, finds like uh, the proper accessories to go with these outfits. And then uh, also with that hit, Giles is able to trim and style everyone's hair in a way that makes them uh, look a little more uh, high society. Uh, so who are the digi disguises going on? I think Clayton and Roy. So uh, Clayton, the uh, disguise Roy was able to find for you is that of Desmond Cumberbatch. He is uh, uh, a pale... A uh, gentleman who wears spectacles and kind of has like a uh, wild black hair that kind of um, 
he crops kind of short and it, it can't help but stand up and out. Um, though he, you know, cleans it and styles it enough so that it doesn't look too crazy. Uh, but still, it's kind of a, an eccentric look. And uh, for himself, Roy was able to procure uh, the disguise of Bryn Hawthorne, a rather reclusive member of the court elite who doesn't go to a lot of social outings, but uh, is a member nonetheless, uh, kind of a legacy member. And he's he's got a uh, black hair that's uh, always uh, styled and cropped uh, nice and clean. Um, he actually doesn't look too crazy different from you, Roy. Maybe just like a little more tan, uh, you know, di- a slightly different bone structure in the face. Uh, and of course, uh, black hair. But uh, his his style is close to yours already. <laughs> uh, and so uh you two put on uh your digi disguise necklaces and uh and turn on the disguise and it creates a, a perfect recreation from the neck up of these two people and then all you have to do is uh, uh put on the clothes that uh Lockham and grep made for you and giles retailored for you and then giles you dress up in uh in clothes that you already owned that are uh perfectly acceptable for the sixth floor of the addington downs derby and then juliet after giles is done with her uh giles steps back and uh juliet steps out from behind the modesty partition and she looks like a completely different person (laughs) giles has completely tamed her wild mane of of wavy hair um uh, putting it up into what juliet probably uh feels is just a a god-awful, uncomfortable uh, configuration of braids on the top of her head that tucks perfectly into the stylish cap uh, that is slightly off-center on the top of her head. It's, uh, it's um, a white material with a with a beautiful kind of sheer fabric wrapped around it, and then it has like just a slight like it has a like a three-quarter round uh, brim that gives her just a little bit of shade over her forehead. And then she is smartly dressed in a very, very fancy pantsuit. You really have nothing to be embarrassed about. You're brilliant. The the hat is like obstructing my my view. I how am I supposed to know what's going on if I can only see like two thirds of my vision? Also, it's like very tight. There's nowhere to hide my guns. Like maybe I should stay here and just like and just like help if you need it. Right. Like call. call. I could be the cavalry and you could just call me when you need it. Now, now, I've already strapped your irons to your bodice. And as for the hat, <laughs> it's perfectly acceptable to take it off indoors. Though it is frowned upon. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong. You know. It's fine. It ain't a dress, so it could be worse. Y'all look smart, though. So that's good. I'm I'm impressed. You clean up real nice. Why, thank you, madam. <laughs> Clayton says in not his voice. Uh, <laughs> it's uncanny, Mr. Sawyer. Even Sugar might not recognize you. Well, that's going to be a problem. Sugar is uh, has been uh, in this uh, safe house with you guys, so as not to draw attention. She's not stabled up. She has her own room, which she has demolished. <laughs> no, she's a, she's an indoor Aache. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever uses the safe house next is going to be really mad at Roy. <laughs> well, I think that's about all the legwork we can do for this. What he says, we go steal ourselves a racetrack. Why, sir, what an excellent suggestion you have made. I conclude. (laughs) (laughs) 
so I suppose uh, I'll be with Roy and Mr. Farthen. You're going to be with uh, with Clayton here. That seems wisest. Yeah. All right. So uh, you leave the safe house and uh, quickly leave this shady part of the neighborhood that you no longer look like you belong in uh, <laughs> and make your way uh, to the northern end of town uh, where the air is just a little bit cleaner away from the proper factories and uh, this, the sky is actually a little less hazy and you approach the pristine white horseshoe-shaped stadium that is the Addington Downs racetrack. And you guys show up uh, uh, just in time as this afternoon's race is getting ready to uh, begin. Um, so you easily can f flow in with the crowds of people who are coming in. Uh, obviously, there's a large line of people in kind of drab clothing all the uh, that kind of uh, congregate around the eastern side of the building. Uh, and you guys make your way towards the western side of the building where there is a grand almost block wide sweeping staircase that leads up to the uh, third floor entrance of the complex. And uh, for all access tickets to the top four floors of the stadium, Giles, it's going to cost you 120 spurs per person. And all of you uh, are able to scan your, uh, scan your tickets with the militiamen guarding uh, this entrance and step on in. And you hear uh, uh, immediately the din of people is cut by uh, by bookies on this floor uh, shouting out. Not not so much like the carnival callers. Uh, they're not like aggressively shouting out, but they are just like announcing to the to the crowd, like in pleasant but loud tones, like the updating odds of the various jackalopes that are going to be racing this afternoon. And if you were to walk straight ahead, you could uh, move past um, a couple restaurants and a very classy saloon to the uh, the tiered pews that sit on the uh, bleacher style on the um, on the balcony here uh, that people could sit and and watch the race from. Uh, but you don't want to be on this floor. You want to move up to the sixth floor, correct? Correct. And uh, with Clayton well through the West Gate, would you say that uh, an item I've crafted has been necessary? Oh, absolutely. Everyone can get an XP for that. <laughs> there's, e there's even a point where one person goes, Mr. Cumberbatch. Hello. To your left, uh, past uh, a couple uh, uh, bedding cages, there are several marble facade, beautiful, open, uh, wide, spiraling staircases that lead up to the next few floors uh, with a beautiful skylight uh, shining down to like uh, make that kind of white, pristine, uh, make the white, pristine... Uh, craftsmanship really shine and uh you can make your way up there walking uh all the way up four floors all the way to the sixth floor um giles knows the way so uh he can kind of lead you guys there is there anything you do before you approach the door leading into the court elite clubhouse i use telepathy okay uh, so go ahead and roll mentalist i got two successes all right, so that will make it so you guys have a telepathic leak as a long-lasting effect, so just a handful of hours. As Clayton's inclination is to, like, maybe adjust his uh, his digital spectacles to, like, mask his eyes as they flash, but uh, the digi disguise he's wearing uh, is so finely crafted by Giles uh, that um, the glow of his luminescent doesn't shine through, uh, and uh, his eyes just kind of flash um, underneath the digital facade and, uh, and now you guys all have that link. 
Check, check. Ugh, I'll never get used to that. Well, uh, would you like to watch a heat or two? If you haven't seen a jackalope race before, it is quite a thing. Yes. I mean, only if it's appropriate. Yeah, I do. Can we go? Can we watch them? It might be real fun. I think it's best. You don't want to be taken off guard by their uh, conversations in the club. Okay, so the best place for you to view, since uh, all of the uh, the viewing balconies on the sixth floor proper are privatized for the different clubhouses, uh, you can go actually go all the way to, to the top, uh, to the roof area, where there's some uh, uh, open access uh, seating for those that can afford to uh, gain access to this. And so you make your way all the way up to the roof access. A militiaman there scans your, uh, your passes and opens the door for you and you step out and the sun shines and you look, at, uh, it's kind of like marvelous. It's this, you're on the, uh, on the left end of a horseshoe and sweeping down several bl- city blocks ahead of you and then curving to your left and uh, and curving back around uh, on the other side of the track from you, uh, you can see all along the rooftop of this stadium and the whole top of it is, it's like it's a piece of the garden carved out and planted here. It's beautifully, immaculately um, maintained, rolling hills. Uh, there's even a, a spot where there's like, you know, some water features for the golf course, like a little pond and a river. And... Um, all along the inside rim of this uh, of this rooftop, uh, there's a balcony with uh, with those seat uh, with those comfortable seats that you can go and sit to watch uh, the first race of the day. Juliet's gonna walk over to the edge and get like a front row seat if there's one available, and uh, like look over at, at the track. Uh, it is an oval shaped track, neatly packed brown uh, material all around it. As you sit down, uh, the final horn before the race uh, goes off, and uh, a few seconds after it, a voice rings out, echoing through all of the stadium. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your race caller for the day, Guy Finnegan, and we have an excellent race to start the day off. 20 Jackalope in position. The track is set. The riders are set, and let's begin. And then uh, you see as the Jackalopes are all kind of like positioned, ready to go, uh, small jockeys uh, mounting them. Uh, Jackalopes are are around horse size, so not as imposing figures as an Ache, per se, um, uh, but still large enough for two people to sit on. uh, And all of them uh, sit with their their, uh, hindquarters kind of raised up and their their front legs kind of laying down on the ground. Uh, Their nose is just a a few inches above the ground. Uh, All of their, uh, a couple of their horns have been like decorated uh, to make them more identifiable from the uh, bleachers. An official on the side of the track raises a gun and pulls the trigger and the announcer says, and they're off. Purple Chrome taking the lead uh, right at the beginning and Blue Sky coming up on the rear. Uh, But it looks like Ruthless Streak might be drafting and moving in. And oh, he's taking second place. Uh, Purple Chrome still in the front, still in the front. And they're reaching the first hazard. And as as you watch, the the track actually begins to move underneath the jackalopes. Um, Jackalope races, uh, unlike uh, a traditional like horse race, 
take advantage of uh, a jackalope's natural speed and agility and uh, jumping ability to add a little bit more spectacle and excitement to the race. Um, so instead of just running uh, uh, around uh, three laps in a in just a flat circle, the track actually randomly tilts sideways and upwards and downwards and uh, sometimes separates, making little uh, uh, spots where they have to jump from uh, platform to platform. And they come up on the first hazard and uh, the the track actually splits sideways, making kind of a two angled tracks. And you watch as the jackalopes kind of like leap forward into the middle of either the left or the right track and then leap out off of it before they have a chance to like slip or slide down uh, into the track and land on the flat part. And they keep going. And uh, the race continues for a little while. And uh, as the first lap is getting close to, to finished, um, it looks like Coach Scorpion is in first lead, followed closely by Purple Chrome. And Dallas Wampus and Smooth Jester are uh, tied for third place. Sit up straight, Miss Hunt. Slouching's one removed from bowing. <laughs> and um, uh, you do see that there's actually um, to the left of the area where you, where you and several other uh, fancy people are sitting. Uh, there is a, a man dressed smartly wearing a, a, a bookies badge uh, with a pad and paper. And you notice like almost like a si silent auction as some of the people in these bleachers uh, kind of make eye contact with him and like mouth to him the, the, the jackalope they want to bet on uh, partway through the race. Because you can make kind of mid-race bets for, uh, for less of a payout if you really want to, just for the sport of it. And uh, the race continues. Uh, it is taken... Literally everything Juliet has in her not to have the Eliza Doolittle moment of just like hooting and hollering for Purple Chrome, who she has decided is her favorite. She's squirming. She's squirming. Which one you think? Purple Chrome. Purple Chrome for sure. 50 on Purple Chrome. <laughs> I'd like to use my Pinkerton talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can do that. Go ahead and roll an observe test as the uh, second lap begins. Ruthless Streak moving into second place, uh, followed closely by Coach Scorpion. Purple Chrome taking first place one more time. And coming in close on third place is Coach Scorpion, uh, followed by Dallas Wampus. And oh, looks like Dallas Wampus got slowed down a little bit, by that, little bit by that hazard. And Heavy Chief takes his place. How many hits did you get on your observe test? I got two hits. What are the two questions you'd like to ask? All right. First, because I'm working, are there any threats we haven't identified yet? <laughs> No, there's no threats around here. Um, uh, no one seems to be suspicious of the four of you at all. All right. And then, because we're at a race, what's about to happen here in this here race? So uh, as they come around at the end of the second lap, Coach Scorpion is going to draft Ruthless Streak to get a burst of speed moving in. And then in an extreme upset as the third uh, lap is coming to an end, purple Chrome is going to get a little unlucky as the track will tilt upwards right underneath it, uh, which will make it stumble just a little bit. And being behind it, coach Scorpion is actually going to be able to leap up and use and not lose any momentum jumping off of that ramping point to cross the finish line before purple Chrome. Uh, I will just sort of, Lean over real casual like, like I've been here before to that bookie. And I'll, I'll just say uh, 30 spurs on Coach Scorpion. And it precipitates just as you thought. 
And oh, Court Scorpion making a move on, on Ruthless Streak, taken into second place. It's going to be a little hard for them to go, uh, but it may be too little too late as Purple Chrome still holds the lead. Coach Scorpion closing up behind Purple Chrome. Purple Chrome holding its lead. Oh, and oh, the ramp slows Purple Chrome's momentum. Oh my god, I don't believe oh, it. Fair, Coach no. Scorpion <laughs> takes the uh, takes the prize. Coach Scorpion, first place, bookies. Coach Scorpion, second place, Purple Chrome, third place, Ruthless Streak, and in fourth place, Heavy Chief. Polite applause, dear. Polite applause. <laughs> yeah, with her outburst, that's the first time people kind of look your way uh, as <laughs> as Juliet lets out a shout, uh, and everyone's like, "Oh." oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're rich, but we can't afford feelings, dear. A receipt is torn uh, for Giles, telling him that he breaks even with Purple Chrome being in second place in a mid-race bet. But Roy, you are given a receipt by that bookie uh, showing that you uh, can go to any betting station here and um, and receive 30 spurs for your bet. All right. I will uh, take that receipt and real subtle like sort of slip it into Juliet's pocket because it seems like she's all torn up about this. <laughs> It's all right. He's a strong rabbit. He'll bounce back. <laughs> I, I know, but it's like, it was like it was cheating. Like like they didn't want him to win, you know, with the like track just like messing him up like that. Like he was in front. They should have timed it better. It's not his fault. He <laughs> was robbed. The precise control of uh, Coach Scorpion altered a situation. Uh, yes, that is true. Pre uh, precise control of amount did alter a situation, so everybody can get an XP. <laughs> and an animal was used to solve a problem, that problem being Roy wanted more spurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, an animal was used to solve a problem, not just for Roy, but for also every jockey down there. <laughs> uh, so yes, that is another XP for everybody. Also, all of you can have a grip for excellent role-playing. And uh, you have a, a little bit of time before the next lineup of jackalopes take the track uh bets are opening up bookies are beginning to uh call out all around the stadium uh what the next uh lineup of of jackalopes are going to be and what the odds are i reckon it's time to get this heist on the road yeah indubitably <laughs> <laughs> well you heard the man uh can we see the corn foot box from here uh, yeah, you can. Uh, you are on, like I, uh, like I said, you are on the end of the uh, horseshoe shape of the stadium, and uh, the Cornfoot private box is uh, dead center in the the heart of the curve of the horseshoe shape, uh, sixth floor. Uh, uh, so you can see uh, the mirror sheen tinted windows of it. We make our way to the spiral staircase so we can confront this unbeatable doorman. <laughs> okay. So you guys get up and uh, move your way down the stairs, uh, entering the sixth floor proper. Lining the, the hallways here um, are uh, beautifully decorated walls and paintings, uh, a few statues, and several doors that have uh, immaculate placards on them that say the different uh, social clubs that are stored there. And you walk your way all around uh, down to the curving center of the stadium. And many of these... Uh, doors have doormen standing outside them uh, wearing uh, white gloves, uniform, a lot of them holding clipboards, a few of them not. And the hallways don't have a whole lot of traffic. You do see a couple people coming and going from the rooms. Um, you make your way up to the curving center of the uh, of the stadium and you see uh, the court elite doorman ahead of you. He is a tall, pale man with a pencil-thin mustache. <laughs> 
and uh, he has oily black hair, uh, closely cropped and parted in the middle. And he stands there uh, at the ready, white gloved hands uh, crossed in front of him. And uh, you walk up and I'm going to need a blend roll from Roy and Clayton as you two are masquerading as members of the Court Elite. Can I uh, tap Clayton with my cane just like on the leg and think to him, uh, don't make eye contact? Just as a reminder. I do not make eye contact. Go ahead and roll. Uh, don't forget your plus two from earlier, as Giles did preemptively assist you by uh, purchasing the appropriate trinkets and jewelry to make you re- to really sell the part. I'm gonna make my own luck and add a couple dice to my dice roll. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and spend grit to play to the gallery, so I can count this fifteen. I am also gonna play to the gallery. Okay. What are your uh, your highest? Nine. My high is a 15. Roy, how many net hits do you have over a 13? Two. The doorman has, uh, has rolled three 13s. Uh, so, Roy, uh, you and Juliet are in the lead, and the doorman uh, sees you approaching and uh, pulls a, a key out of the sleeve of his uh, jacket and says, Good day, Mr. Hawthorne. And he turns to you, Juliet. And you are? This is my companion, Lorelai Silvers. She's my plus one today. Pleasure to meet you, Miss Silvers. Uh, And he uh, turns the key, opens the door, and uh, steps out of the way for you two to walk in. And then he closes it behind you. And then you guys were talking about staggering your entrances. So a good 15, 20 seconds later, Clayton and Giles make their way around uh, the corner. I pretend to be laughing at something hilarious Clayton just said. Clayton kind of like pretends to laugh too, but it's not as convincing. And then Giles, you see as Clayton makes eye contact with the doorman. <laughs> I stab his boot with my cane. <laughs> and he goes, hello, Mr. Cumberbatch. And he stops for a second. He doesn't reach for his key and stands there for a second looking at, at Clayton. And you see Clayton looking back at uh, the doorman with kind of like a half uh, convincing smile on his face. And he goes, is everything all right, sir? Yes. <laughs> he he furrows his brow at that. Clayton's still making eye contact with him. Terribly rude of me. Giles Farthing, huh? at your pleasure. Uh, he looks and sees you and he goes, Mr. Farthing, your reputation precedes you. And he, uh, uh, he gives you like a little bit of a bow and he goes, I'm Duncan Furder. Ah, the Duncan Furder. He stands up and goes, oh, you've, you've heard of me. Uh, as if thinking you're, you're making a joke. In that case, the pleasure's all mine, like. He, he smiles at that and uh, uh, I'm going to go ahead and have you roll a manipulate test uh, at a minus two. Uh, given uh, that uh, you're trying to distract him from the fact that Clayton is just kind of staring at him. And as you're doing that, uh, you glance over to look at Clayton and you see that your your digi disguise is malfunctioning. And Clayton's digital face is frozen in that staring kind of half <laughs> smile. 
staring at Duncan Furter. <laughs> Clayton might not even know what's going on. He's watching the scene, but there's just this kind of like petrified Desmond Cumberbatch half smile face looking at the scene. <laughs> one XP for that, please. Uh, yes, everyone can have an XP as one of Giles's creations did backfire. <laughs> Um, but yes, uh, so that kind of like gives you, uh, you know, trips you up for a moment as you realize that the situation is a little more complicated than you thought it was. Uh, so go ahead and roll manipulate at a minus two. Thanks to my dress to impress talent, uh, I can count an 11, which explodes into another 11 uh, for successes. Wow. Well, Duncan Furter has a 10. Two net hits. Uh, so he he smiles at that and you you genuinely make him think that you're that you're kind of like pleased meeting goes. Mr. Farthing, you are too kind. Uh, and he gives you another bow, and he, uh, or that gives you the briefest moment to kind of reach over and flick the necklace yeah. uh, in, <laughs> or in uh, Clayton's collar, uh, which makes his face unfreeze. And he looks like perplexed at you for a second. And you like kind of like look at him sternly and he goes back to looking like a posh person. Uh, <laughs> Please forgive my associate. He's a little winded from the stars. And he goes, of course, uh, the frozen face of uh, Desmond Cumberbatch back to being normal and not making eye contact. Um, and uh, he produces a key from his sleeve, steps, uh, uh, steps over to the door, opens it up and goes, enjoy your stay, Mr. Farthing. I hope to cross your path again one day. Likewise, like. And uh, he uh, opens the door and you guys walk in. I pace a few spares in a bowl behind him. And tell Clayton, you see, he was good at his job. <laughs> uh, Juliet and Roy, you two had a little bit more time in uh, to get settled in before Giles and Clayton uh, make their way in. The Quarterly Clubhouse is an extravagantly decorated lounge with a little area that's like a smoking area, another a little side room uh, that's kind of a little dining room with its own private kitchen and staff. And like a beautiful like lobby um, with comfortable furniture and, and waiters carrying hors d'oeuvres and uh, appetizers around. Plenty of, of extremely well-dressed uh, posh people are sitting around chatting with each other, laughing, uh, enjoy, uh, enjoying themselves. And down a ways uh, through this kind of lounge area uh, with several, several side rooms, uh, the back room, uh, you can see uh, uh, houses, a couple uh, uh, poker tables, it looks like. And there's a few people sitting over there. Uh, Roy, uh, as you enter in, you can recognize uh, Pattaya Nightingale is in fact here. Uh, you also spot a few other uh, prominent members of the Corps Elite. Uh, you don't spot Anastasia, but you do spot uh, Forbisher Tinnin Fiddleworth in a side room. He is a large man, uh, so large, in fact, that he has uh, grown accustomed to using a hover uh, chair to get around. Uh, and he is uh, sitting there uh, with a couple private uh, trays of food like set on either side of him, and he's chatting with people as he stuffs his face full of, uh, of various fruits and meats. Uh, and uh, in this central lounge, you also see Joseph Arcturus Adams, a man in his uh, in his late fifties with uh, a silver streak on the left side of his otherwise black, uh, short cropped hair, and he is wearing uh, extravagant reds and purples, and he is uh, uh, having a curt unboisterous conversation with a with a couple other gentlemen and yeah rory and juliet what do you two uh uh get into for the you know minute or so you have before giles and clayton enter the room so here's what i'm thinking i say telepathically 
I think uh, Juliet and Clayton, the two of you, can probably handle uh, Nightingale uh, at the at the poker table there. I don't think it's unlikely that he might be a bit smitten with you, Juliet, if you uh, put the charm on at all, which will make it real easy for Clayton to use his cheating powers to help you literally cheat at cards. <clears throat> well, I'll probably have to leave the room in order to cheat, because in order to be clairvoyant, I'm going to have to freeze up for a bit. Well, but like, you can just sit where you can see his cards. I could also do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's good to think in the box, too. (laughs) (laughs) Take a point of grip. (laughs) And while you're working that angle, I think uh, me and Giles can start planting the seeds to get uh, Fiddleworth and Adams uh, get at each other's throats and free them up to some pickpocketing. I'll be moving around this shindig trying to spot Anastasia as uh, you're all aware. This is sort of the... The plate's still spinning around up in the air where we got to figure out what the uh, path to her key is. Understood. I'd like to learn more about her as well. Okay, so Juliet, you make your way back towards the poker table. Uh, I do. I'll I'll, uh, give a charming smile to the gentleman sitting there and and, uh, mind if I join you? There's a few gentlemen and ladies sitting there. There's uh, Lord Pattaya Nightingale, two other gentlemen and one lady and a dealer. And um, you come in and say that they kind of look and like they immediately you watch as they all size you up and like take in your outfit. And I'm going to need you to roll a blend test for me. And don't forget your plus two from Giles uh, prematurely assisting you by, uh, you know, tuning up your outfit a little bit. Um, Did you get any hits at all? Because I whiffed. I rolled way too high. (laughs) I, I did get two hits. I got a four and a five. Under my target of six. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that beats that beats me. I got I got nothing lower than a fifteen over here, uh, and none of those count for this group. Uh, so they size you up, and uh, uh, and the dealer says, "Of course, madam, go ahead and have a seat." And and uh, if you don't mind me asking, on whose invitation are you here? Uh, that would be Mr. Hawthorne's. Uh, and how much credit is Mr. Hawthorne extending you for the table? Five hundred for now. Everyone kind of shuffles at that and like seems to do another like once over on you. Uh, and uh, the dealer goes 500 on Hawthorne and uh, slides chips towards you. And your stack looks significantly smaller than everyone else's stack. <laughs> That's all right. I just nod and uh, wait for the cards to be dealt. All right. Cards start being dealt. Uh, at this point, Giles and Clayton are able to uh, enter the room. Uh, Roy, what are you getting into? At this point, I'd like to make my way around the crowd, sort of mingle without really making an impression on anybody. And my main goal here is just to get a lay of the land and maybe spot Anastasia if I can. Okay, um, so you're going to have to roll blend. Uh, it is going to be at a minus three for reasons you don't yet know. All right, my highest is an eight. Hey, that's three net hits. Yeah. You, you move around, mingle. Uh, a couple people like say hello to you. They reckon, They seem to recognize you. They're... Uh, how do you do, Bryn? Hawthorne? Uh, and you're, you know, kind of mingling, talking. You have a drink. Um, one person comes up and says, nice to see you get out of the house for once, Hawthorne. Well, you know how it is. And I take a drink and move on. Yep. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't seem phased by that. And you keep moving around. Uh, and um, looking around, uh, you can say with uh, pretty pretty good confidence that uh, Anastasia Berwin Cornfoot is not in any of these rooms. 
and uh, Clayton and Giles, uh, you two enter. You see uh, Roy disguised as Bryn Hawthorne mingling, uh, Juliet um, uh, conservatively playing cards at the table. And what do the two of you do? I will go grab a drink if there are any. Go spectate a poker game. I'll join him at the bar. Uh, I have some questions for the keep. Yeah, you're able to get a drink. They have a very wide selection of very top shelf uh, alcohol here. Uh, and the barkeep looks up and sees you uh, and, and sees you there, Clayton, and goes, uh, good afternoon, Mr. Cumberbatch. The usual. Yes, please. Uh, serves up a, a, a chilled glass of uh, sparkling champagne. Thank you. And I observe uh, tipping habits. <laughs> Um, it doesn't seem like anyone here tips and, uh, you've never in your life had champagne, Clayton. I take a sip. It's awful. Why do people pay so much for this? <laughs> I, I take a sip and I, and I grin at the barkeep and, uh, I just kind of hold on to it for the rest of the evening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the barkeep turns to you, uh, Giles. And for you, sir? Just some small talk, if you wouldn't mind. He looks around, sees if there's anyone else who needs a drink at that moment. He goes, seems I have some time, then. I just, I haven't been back to, to the Downs since uh, the Cornfoots bought the place. How's it keeping up? Uh, Miss Cornfoot uh, takes good care of her staff. Uh, uh, we're all quite pleasant here. Attendance, uh, attendance is continuing on the rise. Ah, oh, splendid. Where did she come from, like? I don't remember much about the Cornfoots in the past 50, 60 years. Uh, go ahead and roll a manipulate test to see if you can get some extra information out of this guy or if he's just going to be like, you know, pleasant and noncommittal in all of his answers. Three hits, high 12. His high is a six. Two net successes. He begins talking to you and uh, uh, over some short, pleasant conversation, uh, you do get some information. As you recall, the Cornfoots have been in obscurity for a while, uh, but they've never really uh, dropped down as far as their level of wealth. And Anastasia is the first Cornfoot in a while who's been uh, uh, making some moves uh, to change things up for the Cornfoot name. Uh, the most notable of which is her purchase of this derby from um, Reverend Basington. What you gather is that the that the public thing is that she purchased uh, this from Reverend Isaiah Basington, um, who is the uh, head of the Triptych Church in Glenspire. But uh, you know that it's it's kind of like. It was more like she donated a significant sum and as consolation, she like the ownership changed hands. And this is kind of par for the course when it comes to the uh, ownership of Addington Downs, since it's always just being passed around the court elite. All right. So old money masquerading as new money. And uh, and yeah, you continue talking to him for a little while longer. Um, Clayton, uh, you're moving into a position to help Juliet cheat at cards. Yes. So there's there's more than just this one card table uh, being played, and you you step in uh, Clayton, and even you can tell uh, uh, this isn't a place where people kind of stand and spectate. So you you're gonna have to sit down um, at one of the tables. At which point, um, one of the one of the members turns to you and says, "Trying your hand at cards for a change, Cumberbatch." Just seeing what it's about. I'll just start with a minimum buy-in. And uh, uh, they hand you some chips, and uh, you begin uh, playing at cards and glancing over uh, towards Pattaya Nightingale's hand to try and cheat for Juliet. I do not accept Clayton's 
input over the telepathic link. You're going to try and, and play this straight up? I once shot a man for cheating at cards. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think that I could live with myself if I did that. Juliet, this is not for earning money. This is for the job. Cheating's cheating. She says as she drops out of the telepathic link. <laughs> uh, well, Juliet, as you're trying to play this straight up, uh, you can roll uh, discipline or uh, since you have playing the player, you can roll manipulate. I'm going to roll manipulate because of playing the player. All right. Nightingale's high is a 12. Uh, my high is an 11. Okay. Uh, so you begin losing money to Pattaya Nightingale so much so that, uh, in the, uh, in the duration of Giles's conversation with the barkeep, you lose over half of your chips to him. Uh, Roy and Giles. Uh, seeing as Anastasia ain't nowhere to be found yet, I'll get to work on my part of this plan and I will ingratiate myself into whatever conversation Fiddleworth is currently having. And, uh, when the time seems opportune. I will uh, bring up a, a crime uh, that I heard about while I was scoping out the underworld before this and uh, say what a shame it is that those smugglers just got all that stuff into the city right under the noses of the militia, just sort of in blatant disrespect of the rule of law and order. <laughs> okay, uh, so you can roll manipulate uh, again at a minus three for reasons you don't yet know. Uh, Fiddleworth's high, highest is an eight. Uh, that's uh, one net success with a nine. Uh, so yeah, you find a moment and you you start speaking with uh, Fiddleworth, and uh, he's uh, and as you begin talking, he goes, Hawthorne, when was the last time I saw you uh, actually come to one of these gatherings? Aren't you a bit above all of this? Oh, I I, I suppose it's been an age, but uh, you know, it's it's I felt it was time to get back into the swing. Back into the swing. Back into the swing, he says. Boy, since you inherited your wealth, you've barely spoken to any member of the club. It's It's been downright shameful, I say. I, you know, I, and I do apologize for that. What with everything uh, surrounding that inheritance, I just, it's taken me this long to remember my obligations. Pro, he sits there for a second, like munching on some uh, uh, on some pork. And then like with his mouth half full, he, he goes, well, I should say it's, Better late than never. Um, uh, come, have a seat. Help yourself. And uh, and then you get around to to mentioning your um the the crime and whatnot. And um, uh, with one net hit, it's gonna take you some time, uh, possibly even another roll to to egg him on. Uh, he's going to try and downplay what you're saying. Uh, wonder if maybe you don't have your facts straight. That kind of thing. You have him like suspicious, but not quite riled up. Uh, Giles, uh, what are you up to? Seeing Roy with Fiddleworth, I was going to start on Adams myself. All right. Uh, so Roy is, uh, putting in the work with Fiddleworth and, uh, uh, Giles, you make your way over towards, uh, Adams just as he's finishing up a conversation and is left alone and you're able to kind of sit down, uh, in the same kind of area where he is. And he looks at you and he goes, I know you, don't I? Do you? Giles Farthen at your service. Yeah. Farthing, yeah, yeah, I've I've heard that name before. Uh, he leans over and reaches out like a hand that has a, a uh, that has a couple like heavily gemmed rings on it. Uh, pleasure to meet your acquaintance, Farthing. Uh, you're not part of the core, 
Who are you here with? Ah, uh, Baron Adams, the honorary. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm here with uh, Mr. Cumberbatch today. <laughs> Mr. Cumberbatch? Ah, you can do better than the likes of him. No spine, that one. Oh, I know. It's strictly business, really. Speaking of, uh, forgive me if I'm being too forward, uh, but I was recently on a day trip to the Salt Flats and I, I came across some old explosives. Uh, I've had a hard time moving them around the city with the militia. What? I was wondering if uh, the rumors are true and you might be able to lend a hand with such a thing. He looks around and goes, Mr. Farthing, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you schmoozed your way into the upper echelons of society just to talk to me. Well, do you know any better? Uh, go ahead and roll manipulate. His highest is an eight. I have two net hits over eight, a 13 and a nine. All right. Um, so how are you trying to rile him up against Fiddleworth? Uh, not directly. I'm hoping to uh, just get him talking about some of his more illicit businesses and then uh, signal, uh, signal Roy telepathically to hopefully find a way for Fiddleworth to overhear it. Uh, yeah, you do that. Um, he he kind of looks around uh, and and kind of smiles at your charm, and uh, you basically begin to string Adams along on a uh, on a scheme to get your uh, explosives into Glenspire, and uh, and you give uh, Roy the signal. Uh, meanwhile, over at the card tables, uh, Juliet, uh, you uh, Juliet, both Juliet and Clayton, you guys have run out of money. Uh, well. <laughs> It's not your money, and the both uh, both of the dealers at your tables offer to extend you more credit. I'm going to excuse myself from the poker table, having lost uh, my minimum buy-in and deciding I did not have very much fun. And uh, perhaps I'll trip on some carpet and spill my drink all over Mr. Nightingale. <laughs> yeah, you do that. <laughs> um, you... Splash champagne all over him. Uh, he lets out a shout, turns, and he goes, Cumberbatch, you damn idiot. And he like shakes uh, the fur on his uh, on his coat and like tries to get out. He's like, he's like, what are you even doing in the card table? You ain't got a mind for cards. Get the hell out of here before I buy your estate. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I will leave the card room. Ashamed and defeated. So, uh... Nightingale kind of sits there. Uh, a servant comes over. He like kind of takes his cloak off and hands it to the servant, brushes it off. He's like, well, the, the idiot had just enough, uh, enough damn sense not to spill it over the entire card table, I suppose. Uh, have this thing clean for me. And the servant's like, uh, and the servant, which you, you do recognize most of the, the servants in this area are indentured. They all have that, um, that metal band around their neck, uh, the metal torque that like kind of hangs loosely. Uh, to indicate their servitude. Most of the, uh, the torques in this area are, uh, extravagantly, uh, crafted with fine, uh, engravings and, an excellent, uh, an excellent material. He sits back down, uh, obviously very frustrated. Uh, and he's like, let's play some damn cards. And on my way out, I'm going to use telepathy again to bring Juliet back into the mind link. Uh, you don't have to roll telepathy a, a second time. Uh, Juliet, you feel like kind of a, uh, it's almost like a knock on your brain as, uh, as Clayton tries to bring you back into the telepathic link. I let him on in. Yeah. It's, it's a weird sensation. It's, it's not quite a knocking, but that's the best way to describe it as you feel his presence, like on the periphery of your mind. And instead of resisting it, you open yourself up to it and, uh, you can speak telepathically with your teammates again. There, now he's tilted. 
since you don't <laughs> want to cheat. Much obliged. As I pop back in and play more cards. Such a big temper for such a small man. Race. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you're going to try and go head to head with him in, in poker again. Uh, uh, now that he is sufficiently riled up uh, and uh, and he looks at you as if to say, I'm average sized. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, uh, go ahead and roll uh, a manipulate. Uh, you can have a, a plus two, given the fact that uh, uh, you kind of got him on the back foot. Uh, I have a 12 high. Uh, he did not roll very well. His highest is a six. I have two successes. Uh, he like, all he can muster up is like a scoff and a, who are you again? As he, uh, calls your raise and then, uh, moves, uh, that, that play moves to the end and you both reveal cards and you have him beat. And he, he like, you know, kind of scowls at that as you rake in the chips. Uh, oh, can you not remember old man? There's a few giggles and chuckles and everyone's looking around like the balls on this lady, uh, <laughs> as, uh, as this newcomer to, uh, this guest to the quarterly is beginning to openly insult, um, uh, one of its, pr- uh, premier members. Uh, but it, it works. Uh, the next few hands you go up against him, you ma- he manages, he bets too big, plays too loose and you start taking some of his money. Uh, Roy and Giles, you guys see as Clayton makes his way back towards the bar and gets, uh, another champagne that he's definitely not going to drink. <laughs> he's got a good palate. It's a shite year. And, uh, what do you two do as you're kind of working in tandem together? Uh, Roy, you've been given the signal from Giles. I will let slip to Fiddleworth. I'll say, uh, you know, I even heard someone was trying to smuggle explosives into this city. Right under under the nose of your militia, just blatantly disregarding the authority you've worked so hard to build up and use to protect these people. I, I can't believe someone would do that. Explosives? No, no, no. I I don't think so. There's, there. I would know if uh, if explosives were being brought in. I have contacts who inform me of such things. Uh, you're you're probably right. I'm I'm sure nobody has the means to slip slip underneath your watchful eye. I mean, they'd have to have such a vast network of criminals and smugglers under their control. I mean, who who even could do that? You know the malicious schedule. Does Fiddleworth know you have that? <laughs> uh, and Adams goes. Between you and me, he thinks I have an older version than I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Roy, go ahead and roll manipulate. Am I still at this unknown minus three? Uh, no, because you addressed how weird it was for Bryn Hawthorne to be around. <laughs> uh, Fiddleworth's highest is a 10. Once again, I got one net success over that 10. So you say that and he, he kind of munches on it for a little bit and thinks about it and he goes, it's been a pleasure finally getting a chance to speak with you, son. Uh, go, come over to my estate sometime. Perhaps we can do some business. Uh, but I have some other things, uh, other business I need to attend to. Uh, perhaps if you uh, stay around for another race, uh, uh, we could bet against each other. That, uh, what fun that would be, he says, kind of uh, 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 handling the controls on his chair to like uh, back away, turn, and start leaving this little side room you're in. And... Um, he uh, he turns around and um, uh, shouts uh, across the room towards Adams uh, and 
and Giles being like, Adams, Adams, uh, a word, please. And uh, Adams uh, looks at you, Giles, and goes, I'm sorry, if, if you would please excuse me. Not at all, by all means. And he, uh, he stands up and, uh, and walks over, and uh, you see the two of them kind of talking, uh, and it doesn't quite look like they're at each other's throat. It looks like, they're gonna, uh, like uh, Fiddleworth is going to try and get to the bottom of this. He's not so riled up that he's approaching this without reason. All right. Seeing as it seems like it's about to be go time on all three of these fellas in about a minute, I'd like to Pinkerton. Okay. Uh, I got three hits. What are the three questions you'd like to ask? Are there any threats we haven't identified yet? Uh, yes. Uh, one thing that, uh, you notice is, uh, as you're like, kind of like getting up, there is like a side conversation. You catch a glimpse, uh, or you, you just catch like a, a slight bit of it being like, oh, how did he get up here so fast? And you realize Desmond Cumberbatch is somewhere in the, on the premises, uh, not in this room, not necessarily, uh, on his way here, but like there is a, a, a chance just a, like almost like a timetable at which Desmond Cumberbatch may come into or may come into the clubhouse. And that would be, you know, least to say awkward. Uh, additionally, um, you guys are, are holding out for Anastasia to be here and she is conspicuously not here. And you just like in your gut, you'd know she's not in her viewing box and you think that she is intentionally not here. And, and something uh, flashes in your memory for a moment. And that was Giles telling Pepe to, tell whoever stole from him that he was coming oh hell well i got two more questions <laughs> uh who is concealing something from myself or my friends uh well you still don't know what you're stealing back for giles but otherwise no one here is necessarily concealing anything uh, uh from you guys it seems you have a pretty good lay of the land of this room for the most part who is in charge of this situation uh, at the moment, collectively, your team, you guys have kind of control of uh, of what happens next. Uh, what with uh, you kind of poking and prodding and, and possibly about to make a couple simultaneous distractions. There, there's no one really to stop you from doing that but you guys at this point. All right. I will first clue in everybody that Desmond Cumberbatch, the real person, is in fact on the premises somewhere. So we are on a timetable. Second, I'll send out, I think this is about as far as me and Giles are going to push Adams and Fiddleworth without starting an outright brawl. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and procure their keys. Uh, Juliet uh, gives you another minute or two to push Nightingale over the edge. Giles, uh, you're, you're sitting there. Um, you can see Roy uh, getting in position to make a move on Fiddleworth and Adams. And uh, Clayton, you're actually kind of nearby there, too, as they are not too far from the bar where you just got your second champagne. And so uh, we'll do the thieving of Fiddleworth and Adams before we cut back to Juliet uh, and how she does or doesn't succeed in uh, uh, pushing Nightingale over the edge. So uh, Roy, Clayton and Giles, what's the plan? Uh, Roy, you about to make your move? Yeah. Shall I distract I'm eager to see what you got up your sleeve, Clayton. It's a tried and true classic. <laughs> <laughs> so I I walk over by uh, Fiddleworth and Adams, and there's some people talking right by him, and I very loudly fall down, 
and spill champagne over both of them. <laughs> no, not not Fiddleworth and Adams because I don't want to get champagne on uh, Roy. But the two people talking right next to him, I say shit. <laughs> spill champagne everywhere. <laughs> to, in order to sell this, is not like just a blatant pantomime where you pour a drink on somebody. Um, I'm going to need you to roll either manipulate or blend, Clayton, so that people uh, believe this performance you're putting on. I'm going to make some luck. So my highest is a six. I got a nine. You sell it, Clayton. You trip, yell shit, and spill champagne over two two random people in the room nearby Fiddleworth and Adams, knocking them kind of to the side and and, uh, definitely pulling their attention. Uh, And you, you like, stand up. (laughs) Desmond, Des- or one of them is one of them's like Desmond. Are you all right? And then the other one's like, God damn it, Desmond! And, and uh, they start trying to help you up. There's definitely a scene surrounding Clayton, uh, aka Desmond Cumberbatch, at this moment. And I will swoop in and pick these men's pockets. Okay, they're both at a minus two uh, because they're distracted by the content of their conversation, and then they're at an additional minus two because they are actively being uh, distracted by Clayton's performance. <laughs> And then they are at an additional minus two because I have the talent sticky fingers. Nice. (laughs) Well, what do you know? They rolled no hits. (laughs) Oh, that's great. I got three net hits over no hits. Uh, Yeah. So you kind of swoop in and uh, like the practiced thief you are, you uh, reach into uh, Adams's coat pocket and pull his key ring and uh, into the pouch on the side of Fiddleworth's hover chair and pull his key ring out and uh, and you uh, quickly get away from the scene. Uh, meanwhile, Juliet, you are continuing to win money from Pattaya Nightingale. I mean, he still had a bunch of money at that table. So uh, from being a, the complete underdog chip-wise, you've just barely overtaken him and it's getting to him quite a bit. Uh, what do you do? I'd like to... Um... Uh, hook my foot around uh, the f- the leg of his chair, if at all possible, without him noticing, um, so that when he stands up, he'll uh, at least bump into the card table, if not flip it entirely. Um, <laughs> and and then I'll start in on him. You see, Mister Nightingale, I'm I'm a little bit of a of an animal enthusiast. See, see, birds, they generally eat insects and and grass and seeds and carrion basically they're the cleanup crew the garbage animals really i'm much uh much more obliged to uh identify with with the predators specifically and i give them a wink uh sharks they only eat the good stuff they sneak in get you feeling like you're safe and then they come at you and uh, when they do they go all in. And I'd like to go all in. So you can go ahead and roll uh, manipulate. Um, you, you have a, a plus two because you've already kind of got him on. Uh, you've already gotten under his skin quite a bit uh, during this card game. Uh, so there's a pretty decent chance you can push him into making a scene here. Um, and then I'd like to spend uh, some grit to bamboozle him. Okay. Uh, how much grit are you spending to bamboozle? That will be an equivalent number of negative modifiers on him. Um, I have seven grit, so I will spend three grit. Uh, all right, yep. That puts him at a minus three in addition to whatever other minuses he may have. 
His high is a five. Cool. I have uh, a ten, and uh, that's two successes. Yeah. Uh, so you succeed in rallying him up enough uh, that he calls. The cards go in, you flip him over, and again, you have him beat. He goes kind of like red in the ears, uh, grits his teeth, and you've rattled him up enough that he wants to leave the card table. However, you did also hook your foot underneath his chair, so... Uh, you didn't quite egg him on so much that he would completely lose himself into flipping over this table, but you have taken the precautions to make it look like he flipped over this table as he tries to stand up. You, your leg catches on his chair. He, he's like, well, excuse me then. And, uh, uh, stands up and then falls into the table, shoving it forward and flipping it over, knocking over drinks, knocking over the chips, uh, and definitely, uh, causing a huge scene, uh, just moments after a similar commotion is happening in the, uh, in the main hall, uh, as, uh, Clayton has just spilled his drink and, uh, and Roy is making his way, uh, in uh, towards you with the two keys that he's stolen. And I will swoop right in and procure Mr. Nightingale's key. Uh, go ahead and roll Skullduggery. He is at a minus two from my Sticky Fingers talent. His highest is an eight. I got three net hits over an eight. Yeah, uh, so Roy swoops in. He grabs the key. You now have Joseph Arcturus Adams' uh, key ring, Forbisher Tinnin Fiddleworth's, Keyring and now Pattaya Nightingale's keyring, and all eyes are basically on um, Nightingale and Clayton. <laughs> 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 as uh, as servants begin to make their way towards you, uh, uh, Clayton, to try and help you up, and uh, uh, you think possibly try to escort you to a side room for you to collect yourself, or escort you off of the premises. Well, while everyone's sort of looking at these other things that ain't me, I'm just going to go slip into that viewing room as if I have a key. Okay, uh, so you will have to whip out your auto picker and roll a skullduggery test as none of these key rings have the key to Anastasia's private viewing box. Giles and, and Juliet, what are you two doing this moment as, they, as people are completely distracted from you for a second? If they remain distracted, I'll head back to the viewing box as well. Okay. I stand up and I go, uh, I'm not one for violence and, uh, I'll back away, uh, <laughs> from the scene and, uh, uh, backing away and then kind of sidling out of the room and, uh, going to the bar, I think. Clayton, uh, servants come and, and help you up. And, uh, uh, one comes, uh, one kind of says to you, sir, sir, it's been requested that you, uh, that you maybe uh, go up and uh, get some fresh air. Uh, you prefer the golf links, uh, don't you, sir? Uh, perhaps that would be the best place for you. Yes, yes, I th think you're right. I will head there now. Uh, uh, of course, of course. We'll clean this up there. Uh, my, my apologies, sir. My apologies. And uh, you have been politely asked to leave. <laughs> and I politely leave. Have a good day, Mr. Cumberbatch. Duncan Furter says to you as you leave. You as well. Roy, how'd you do on uh, on lockpicking that door while everyone was distracted? I got three successes on that door. Okay, yep. You pull out your auto picker and very quickly, just a couple clicks on it, and the, uh, the door latch uh, opens and you slip in, and right behind you, uh, Giles manages to slip in also. 
and the two of you find yourself uh, in an almost office-like room with uh, a beautiful uh, lounge area uh, facing the picturesque windows that look down over the track. Uh, And you can see the the next race is about to begin. And uh, uh, there's portraits on the wall, statues in the corners, uh, uh, plenty of plants, and uh, the facade is all a deep, beautiful uh, reddish wood. And you look around, and you don't see another door out of this place than the door that you just shut behind you. And Juliet, you uh, move to uh, belly up to the bar uh, in the in the quarterly clubhouse. Um, no eyes on you. Um, uh, some some of the servants are now moving to assist uh, Nightingale. You're not sure whether or not he's going to try and continue a confrontation with you or not. And uh, Clayton, you have uh, entered the hallway of the sixth floor outside of the Court Elite Club, Clubhouse. Having successfully navigated a dangerous situation without being noticed, I will turn to Giles, this door locked behind us, and I will say... Here's the thing, Giles. I ain't usually in the business of telling people I'm coming to rob them before I rob them. I can get out of here and leave you here alone in this locked room on the sixth floor where you have warned someone you're going to rob them. You're going to tell me what we're stealing here. And that's where we'll end our session. This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is affiliated with and specifically approved by Tommy Cotton. Manifest, the RPG, is property of Tommy Cotton. All rights reserved. For more information, go to www.manifesttherpg.com.